as, as Mima said, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a clinician, um, and I'm very interested in the area of the general femoral labs, inflammation, and how its inflammatory pathways lead to the complications of diabetes. And we have two aspects. One is cardiovascular disease and diabetes. The other aspect is uh, beta cell dysfunction. And as I'll show you on the next uh, slide, they're really in, and when you talk, I'm going to talk about type 2 diabetes and at the end talk about type 1 diabetes. In this case, I think there are some similarities between the inflammatory pathways that are going on. So this is just to set the stage. And when you talk about type 2 diabetes and the natural history, uh, this, is the, that, this is the time when we diagnose it based on blood sugar, but a lot of things are happening well before. There's insulin resistance that starts prior to it. And certainly uh, the work of uh, people from this center, Nemo and uh, Dr. Bronte, is very much involved in the mechanisms of insulin resistance related to obesity and effects, effects on the liver. But as long as insulin secretion keeps up, you do not have diabetes. And that's the key. There are a lot of people who are obese that don't have type 2 diabetes. And that's because the beta cells can keep up. But beta cell function, I'll show you in a moment, mass declines. At the time of diagnosis, there's quite a significant decline in beta cell function and beta cell mass through the courtesy of some very elegant studies, uh, autopsy studies. Uh, so that's one of the problems, and we're going to talk about that today, about why is the beta cell, may, maybe why is the beta cell declining, what are some of the pathways that uh, uh, could be going on in our particular uh, favorite pathway of interest, as most of us do. We can talk about our research somewhere. So, and the other part is cardiovascular disease, which starts well before the onset of diabetes and continues, and that's what was my focus of the talk, the last two talks I gave, so I'm not going to talk about that much today. All right, so talk about the beta cell. So, the beta cell, when I was going through school ages ago, we used to think that the beta cell had neurons or flicks, and that's once you lose them, you lose them, and that's it. Well, it's so dynamic and so complicated and very exciting, and, and uh, work of uh, uh, Lori and other, Dr. Sussel and others shows that there's a lot of dynamics in uh, to Susie Bonnie Ware, very dynamic regulation of beta cell mass. Ultimately, uh, we'd love to be able to create beta cell gain, and that's why I put the question mark here. I don't think today we know of any effective human therapy that will increase beta cell gain. In mice, yes, you do, and we've done some of those studies, but we don't know about humans. The only case I know about in humans where you get nice beta cell gain and it's very functionally active is in pregnancy. And I know Mike German has done some very interesting studies on the mechanisms that present, but uh, not good. But the thing that we are very interested in is what causes beta cell loss, and this could be cell death, apoptosis, necrosis. And so we've been focused on, while we don't know good ways of increasing beta cell gain, I know that uh, Andy Stewart's working on this, uh, we're focusing on what causes beta cell loss in the inflammatory pathways. And this is, a, this is a previous slide. This has a, Peter Butler gets a lot of credit working with his wife and showing uh, this type of slide where when you're obese, and, uh, and this is obese versus lean, and you can see non-diabetic, there is increased beta cell volume in obese patients that are not diabetic compared to lean. And then once you develop type 2 diabetes, the beta cell mass goes down whether you have diabetes, uh, whether you're obese or lean. The thing that uh, see here, I can see here is that the um, impaired... Prior to the, the fasting hyperglycemia patient, this is the patient who is obese. On the way to type 2 diabetes, there's already a beta cell mass that's declined roughly about 50%. So one of the concepts is that beta cell mass decline is occurring while people are developing type 2 diabetes. There's a lot of elegant studies to understand why that's going on, whether you're genetically born with lo, uh, less beta cells, more prone to disease, or what's going on. Uh, it's probably a very complex story between environment and uh, metabolism. 
that's actively working out. But the concept here is that beta cell mass is declining before the onset of diabetes and goes down further. Now, Peter Butler did this studies earlier, but when you look here, uh, studies, this is uh, Chris Rhodes sent me this slide, this data, which I was not aware of either, that 1985 they already knew that in uh, people who are obese, beta cell volume is already up, that were non-diabetic, and once you develop type 2 diabetes, lean or obese, your beta cell volume is already down. So it's been known for a number of years, you know, almost 30 years or so that uh, that is declined. So what's going on? We think inflammatory is the major pathway. You can, uh, I was just in a meeting in Oxford that the major theme was inflammation and how it causes the path pathology and diabetes. And there are people talking, uh, Steve Kahn talking about high-level Alzheimer's and Dr. Butler, Peter Butler works on that. Oxidative stress, metabolic stress. Uh, you also have uh, ER stress, which is a very hot topic these days. Uh, it's certainly involved. Uh, genetic, because we know that people may be born with fewer beta cells or there may be some uh, changes in genetic background that leads to more beta cell prone disease related to inflammation. And lipotoxicity, these are all terms. But really, if you look down to it, all these pathways through various mechanisms ultimately lead to inflammation, which is thought to be the uh, uh, major pathway of disease. And today, I would, sit, I would focus to say that none of our existing medical therapies, maybe exercise and diet and all the good things that we love our patients to do, but they don't do. But none of the medical therapies that we, I, I should be so pessimistic. I'm a clinician there. We, 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 we got a lot of successes. So we have people that are very motivated to do what they want to say. So we don't both. It's like too, right? <laughs> but we have, that's why we have, we need pharmaceutical medications and a lot of patients type 2 going insulin. The problem is that our therapies currently are probably not targeting uh, we don't even know enough or we're not smart enough or it's going to take a longer time to develop the anti-inflammatory therapies. And, uh, but, uh, but it's getting closer to understanding what's going on. And this is an older slide um, uh, from the group, uh, groups in Europe that have been working on this, also groups in the United States. When you look at an islet uh, from a, a normal human without type 2 diabetes, Insulin staining is here, and you see CD68, which is a marker for macrophages. And here, if you basically look at somebody with type 2 diabetes and look at a pancreas section and an islet section, you see a rather disorganized insulin staining. But now you start to see macrophage staining there. So this, is, this was found a few years ago, but now it's, it's very relevant. Uh, and at the meeting I was just at, and we're in the back, I'm not going to show you data today, but we're actually doing work with uh, Dr. Yumi Amai, very, very exciting work where she's doing flow cytometry of islets from non-diabetics and diabetics. And all I can tell you is the islet is a, like an inflammatory organ, almost like an immune organ. There are T cells there, B cells, not just macrophages. And in fact, if you do standard macrophage staining, you're going to miss a lot of different kinds of cells. So it's very exciting and very interesting that the, that the islet is, is, has all these types of cells there. And what they're doing, what activates them, is probably going to be the key to understand. So some of the companies now are starting to th start uh, trials of antibodies. Most of these are biologic antibodies that have been used for years in rheumatoid arthritis uh, and other autoimmune diseases to basically, uh, and I wrote an, uh, an editorial in Nature Medicine years ago based on the New England Journal article suggesting that maybe some of these autoimmune therapies may have some beta cell preservation. So there's some thought that some of these therapies might be helpful. Uh, our thought is that inflammation and altered fatty acid metabolism, because the elegant work of a number of people, including people here in Colombia, uh, uh, that are working on fatty acids, 
clearly there's some abnormality in fatty acid metabolism and diabetes and, and inflammation. We believe that this is involved in insulin resistance, reduced beta cell function of mass and, and atherosclerosis. So if we can understand what's going on here, the interplay between fatty acid metabolism and inflammation, maybe we can understand a safer way uh, of treating this without globally knocking out the immune system, which we don't want to do with people uh, with type 2 diabetes or even type 1 diabetes. So the hypothesis is that this is the, our favorite enzyme. The oxidized lipids generated by the, uh, these enzymes called 1215 lipoxygenase play a key role in vascular metabolic disease of diabetes. And we believe that they work in part by I'm not showing them ER stress. We actually have a manuscript under review that uh, these products actually induce ER stress and grow uh, fat cells and we're doing some work on islands. But we're also working on that they generate some inflammatory cytokines, and these cytokines carry out downstream uh, damage. And here's a slide that I showed the other day, but basically it's the, the cascade is that angiotensin II, elevated glucose, inflammatory cytokines, visceral obesity, leads to the release of free fatty acids, including arachidonic acid, and we believe one of the major cascades is through this 1215-lipoxygenase, uh, which generates this inflammatory lipid called 12-heat. And 12-heat, we believe, and I'll show you some data of what 12-heat can do to islets. And is this enzyme expressed in the island? I'll show you data as well. If you want to read more about this, this is a review, a little advertisement. Uh, not my, I was just an author here, but uh, David Lieb and Arthur O'Brien, junior faculty in the group, wrote a nice review of progress with the research. Uh, 2011, it really summarizes all the, all the up-to-date data on not just our work, but all the field on 1215 so that's a, uh, And I have some slides for So that's, I should say this is an intimate group. If you want to ask me questions during the, during the talk, I'm not too far away. Please feel free to. You don't have to wait till the, till the end. I'm happy to address questions. Okay. All right. So the hypothesis is that uh, obesity and type 2 diabetes, at least, because type 1 is different. Uh, single, uh, it doesn't all happen with obesity, but obesity and type 2. You get activation of the 12 lipoxygenase, we also call it glucoside 12 LO. You get inflammation in the vascular tissue as well as the adipose tissue. Uh, leads to cytokine expression, macrophage, and damage. Now, these are macrophages that could be in the island. So it turns out, I just showed you, there are inflammatory cells in the island. There's inflammatory cells in the vasculature. There are inflammatory cells in the adipose mass. So we believe this pathway is activated in those inflammatory cells, or the other cells within the islet, 12-LO goes up, and then secondarily leads to activation of the macrophages and T-cells. This is the hypothesis. Okay, so we published uh, a paper in JCNM uh, about a year ago. It was very helpful uh, because the big problem in this field was there's some of these enzymes. I don't know what options are. It sounds funny. And with cyclooxygenase, I know if I take aspirin, I can block cyclooxygenase. If I take Advil, Advil and aspirin don't block this pathway at all. So in fact, there are no clinically available inhibitors for this 1215-lipoxygenase. It wasn't thought to be a drug target or the other drug of doing anything. So last year, what we did is we did a study where we looked at the human islands under cytokine conditions and basal conditions. And we first identified what forms of lipoxygenase are in human islands. And the bottom line is that it's called ALEX-12. It's called platelet-12-lipoxygenase. It's, it's an enzyme that only generates 12 heat. So we found that out. We found that it's uh, almost no, none of it's expressed in normal, healthy islands, but under inflammatory conditions, the expression goes up, and I'll show you a slide of that. So what we did is we added 12 heat, which is the product of 12-LO, and we wanted to look at two things, glucose-stipulating insulin secretion as well as... Uh, 
uh, beta cell uh, viability. So this slide shows uh, after this is four-hour addition of 12S heat, which is a specific product of this 1250 line showing what happens here is uh, a low glucose, high glucose, glucose stimulating secretion that we get in normal human islet sent to us by the islet distribution center. So we're always at the whim of what kind of islets we get, but we generally uh, get fairly good islets. 12S heat uh, at uh, uh, the concentration here at one nanomolar and then higher dose, you can see it really reduces glucose stimulated insulin secretion. Uh, and this is after four hours of addition. If you use a higher dose and you go overnight, something else happens. And this is a uh, Yopro assay, which is basically an exon uh, apoptosis type of assay, perfidium iodide assay, showing here uh, the green color is particularly islets that are apoptosic. And you can see in control islets that we get from the islet distribution center, they're not 100% healthy, they're still a little base like apoptosis. And we treat them with 100 nanomole of 12S heat overnight, very florid uh, increase in apoptosis. We've also looked at caspase expression that goes up. It turns out that uh, it, it takes time, it doesn't happen right away, and it takes a higher concentration. Uh, but under cytokine conditions, these are the doses you can see of this product, so it actually could be physiologically uh, or pathologically uh, relevant, uh, what we're seeing. Now, it's very specific, I'm not trying to slide, but we had 15 S heat, doesn't do it. So it's very specific for the 12 S heat. We had 12 R heat, which is generated from a different enzyme, P450, it's not there. The question is, and we have asked the question, is there a receptor for 12-SC? There might be. In fact, there was a, a recent paper from Kenneth Hahn from Michigan working in the cancer field. The 12-SC actually increases matrix and changes uh, metastasis potential of cancers. He's identified a receptor for the same for 12-SC. Uh, the idea of 12-S versus 12-R, just changing the stereochemistry to lead to specificity, suggests there might be a receptor, which could be a future uh, target that could be interesting. Okay. So, uh, so in the same paper, we asked the question, what happens, and this is PCR expression of 12-15-LO and 5-LO. So this is the, on the insert is 5-lipoxygenase, and the slide is rather boring. It shows that 5-LO is hardly expressed in human islets, and no changes at all, even up to 22 hours of inflammatory cytokines. This is the triple cytokine mix that I'm sure a lot of you have used, which is uh, the standard cytokine mix of leading to inflammatory uh, cytokines. In the basal state in human islets, we see very little 12-15-LO expression. Then in the red here is where we've added the inflammatory cytokines. You can see a time-dependent increase in 12-15-LO and a peak effect around 22 hours. We see about eight-fold upregulation. That's also matched with product and also matched up with our, uh, protein. And now what happens, a, a B to C, what you're seeing here is an islet that's not apoptosis, but after 22 hours of inflammatory cytokines, the cell is dying as well. So this is not novel. The part that's interesting is that the 12-15-LO is going up at the same time the cell is dying. The idea is that it's playing a role. And we couldn't test that until just recently. I'll show you some data towards the end of the talk. We couldn't test that because we didn't have an inhibitor. So that's been the, been, the, been the deficiency in this field is we've had mouse models, and we've been helping to develop mouse models. I'll show you some data on that. We haven't had a very good specific inhibitor until recently. So now we have some data on uh, Inhibition. Okay. So I'm now going to go on to some mouse work, and this is something I showed the other day, uh, and this is published already, uh, where we basically did, you have a global knockout at 12-15-LO, and when you put that animal on a high-fat diet, uh, we published in the JCI, I guess about uh, 12 years ago, 
1250 knockout is, is protected from streptozoas. How does that start the whole thing off? Uh, so that, I'm not showing that, that. That's been shown already. So when you put an animal on a high-fat diet, uh, a black six mouse, you see increased uh, basal glucose and the glucose intolerant through IP glucose tolerance. You take a 1250 global knockout, they stay in some, they stay you know, with normal glucose, and you give them uh, glucose uh, IP glucose, they do very well. And along with this, we look at insulin secretion. They maintain normal insulin secretion. The beta cells look very fine. They look well. Uh, but we wanted to go on to uh, a new work, and this is actually unpublished work uh, in collaboration with Raghu Namira and Indiana University, where we started asking the question, uh, what happens if we have a pancreas-specific pollution of 12-15-0? And I'll show you some new data uh, that we have. We did two things. We added uh, uh, streptozotocin, and we asked the question, are they protected from streptozotocin? And number two, what happens when you put these animals on a high-fat diet, and what happens when you take out the islets and look at them in the cytokines? So this is the data with low-dose streptozotocin, which probably closely, more closely mimics a type 1 model than a type 2. And you can see if you take a, a wild-type black 6 mouse, and this is pdx creep uh, combined with the 12 LO uh, uh, flux mice that we have. If you just take the, uh, the controls, either litimate controls or wild-type, you basically develop type uh, diabetes, rather severe diabetes, low-dose streptozotocin. Uh, within about, it really goes up within 12, 10 to 20 weeks, uh, sorry, 10 to 20 days after. The 12-15 knockout, specifically in the pancreas, is highly protected, and you can see in glucose tolerance tests, they have a normal glucose tolerance curve compared to the uh, wild type. And you can see what the islets look like. Here's a wild type before streptozotocin, here's after streptozotocin. Uh, very few of the islets are left, and they're much smaller. Here's a pancreas-specific knockout at 12 15 low in the basal state. Uh, very nice thin staining of uh, insulin, and there's really no change after streptozotis and highly protected. So this is suggesting that since 12-15-0 can be all over in the vessel, it could be in the uh, fat, that just knocking it out in the pancreas, uh, we don't know about I, uh, beta cells specifically, that's the future, but just pancreas, uh, it has a nice effect to protect. When you take out the islets from this pancreas-specific uh, uh, knockout mouse, they're protected from cytokine stress in in vivo, in ex vivo. So basically, here's the situation. This is the actual glucose-induced insulin secretion. Uh, four hours after cytokines, you've really seen 18 hours after cytokines. And I think you can see it here from the glucose-stimulated insulin secretion that they're protected from cytokine stress uh, in the high glucose, you see low glucose, high glucose, even after 18 hours of cytokines. And it's, it's also can be seen by the stimulation index where it's uh, clearly uh, better and the pancreas-specific knockout compared to the wild type, suggesting that uh, streptozotocin is protected from streptozotocin, protected from cytokines, and pancreas-specific uh, uh, 12 knockout. Okay. And then you put the animals on a high-fat diet. Um, I'm not showing you this slide, but actually they're not protected from insulin resistance. It's interesting. So it does the pancreas. So if you, if you have it knocked out in the fat, or globally knocked out, and you put an animal on a high-fat diet, the beta cells continue to look fine, but they also don't get insulin resistant. So in this case, it's very interesting. You ask the question, well, everyone who's obese is going to get insulin resistant, but only some people get type 2 diabetes. So in this case, you put the animal that has pancreas-specific 12-15-1 knockout on a high-fat diet, they become just as insulin resistant as the wild. But when you look at glucose tolerance tests, 
you can see here that the animal that's wild type has an impaired glucose tolerance uh, with a high area under the curve of glucose. This is oral glucose uh, here. Uh, so you see here. And then you have uh, the insulin uh, they maintain. Basically what happens is we believe that what's happening is under the face of insulin resistance, these animals can maintain beta cell stimulations. So it's protecting the animal of their, their islets and their beta cells from inflammatory injury under the high fat conditions, even with insulin resistance. So it suggests that there really is a beta cell phenotype and a role of 12, 15, 0. Maybe it's directly beta cell, maybe it's paraprint, something else in the islet, we don't know yet, because we're actually trying to characterize what cells in the islet uh, make 12, 15, 0. It may not be the beta cell, it may be another cell that's feeding, it's, it's releasing 12 feet locally into the islet that's causing the damage. We don't know yet, but actually that's what we're getting close to time. Okay, so that's that. Okay, and here's what the islets look like. Here's a wild type animal uh, on chow, on the normal chow. Here's a, a wild type animal on a high fat, uh, high fat diet. And the animal here starts to, uh, the islets in this case are not able to uh, uh, function as well, but also they're uh, not getting enlarged. What we're finding is in the platelets, and sorry, the pancreas-specific knockout, they look fine in the chow state, and then under a high-fat diet, they actually get larger. There's more islets and they get larger. So it's very interesting. They're able to compensate functionally and histologically. So it all opens up a lot of uh, interesting ideas, and I'm open to collaboration with anybody here. This is just new, new data. You're probably the second group seeing it. I know Raghu presented with this group in the uh, Midwest Island with Chris Rose. Uh, but this is a, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, all right. So, so that's what we think is going on in, uh, in type 2 diabetes, and I'll get back to uh, our small molecule opportunities. But we're excited that we, we data seems to suggest there's some beta cell phenotype uh, there. But in type 1 diabetes, we know that uh, it's interesting that not everybody with type 1 diabetes, they have the metalist program up in Joslin, which are rare, or people even after 50 years of type 1 diabetes, they still have about random C-peptide levels remain. Uh, and a lot of patients still show increases of insulin with a mixed meal. So the data suggests in this the NPOD program, which I don't know if anyone here is, it's a very nice uh, program that Mark Atkinson and the JDRF has started where you can get pancreas sections from uh, people who are organ donors that have no diabetes on the way to type 1 diabetes, autoantibody positive, and people with type 1, and we basically send out academic labs to look for novel targets and mechanisms. So new data using the NPODs suggests that there's ongoing attempts of regeneration, uh, even late, uh, late and, and continued on immunity. So the idea is, theoretically, if we can figure out what's going on inflammatory-wise, autoimmunity-wise, causing damage to pancreatic beta cells in type 1, maybe we have a chance of allowing the cells to recover with some booster if we can figure out what's causing inflammatory damage. So that's, that's, I think that's a key. And um, so not all beta cells are affected during the early stages. Uh, the small islets seem to be protected, so that the idea of that ways to reduce insulin secretion and maybe anti-inflammatory agents may be very helpful to preserve functional mass. And we may have a wider window. And these NLD mice, which I'll show you in a moment, they have a very narrow window. Those mice go from one day non-diabetic, boom, diabetes the next day, and they, they lose almost all their beta cell mass very quickly. But humans, particularly the adults, appear to have slow, more slowly progressive uh, disease and gives us a wider window of therapy. Unfortunately, the therapies so far have not been very uh, dynamic or dramatic in terms of the ability to protect the cells. So the idea is that new onset uh, patients, that you can control, uh, uh, protect the beta cell mass, 
and control autoimmunity, that might be sufficient, but if you have a very uh, established disease where there's very few beta cells left, then you might need regeneration capacity. And that's been our weak link. We are not there yet, but I think we're closer to understanding ways to control this. Okay, so now back to the 12 ll story. This took a long time. So I, I, I do this because uh, uh, fortunately, if anyone's a graduate student, it wasn't a graduate student project, it wasn't a postdoc project, but it would be a good project for a graduate student postdoc, right? You wouldn't want to be in the lab for seven years and have one paper. Uh, so this, this took a while, but it, um, it was basically, uh, we all sweated out. And I, I would give a plug to Marcy McDuffie. Dr. McDuffie's at the University of Virginia. She's a geneticist that works on mouse genetics related type 1 diabetes. And she was at the Barbara Davis Center. I think she collaborated with a lot of people at the Barbara Davis Center. So she's a very careful worker. So I'll say very, very careful. So actually, I can be sure of this that I can be of anything. That I tell you that it took seven years because you can see how complicated uh, where 12, 15, and is, the Alex cluster. There are many genes on this, on the chromosome here, uh, where 12, 15, and is located in the mouse. The idea was when you make a knockout, a congenic knock, and this is a congenic on NLD, which is even tougher. You have to be sure you're knocking out just the gene you want because so many genes are close. So this took seven years because she used speed congenics. And this is speed congenics where we analyzed every marker. This is the, the literature was good because of all the work of other folks. We knew all the markers of type 1 diabetes here. So we looked at every single one, and I could tell you the congenic that we have. We're actually just deposited in, uh, in Jackson for other people to use in type 1 consortium. Uh, uh, it's just this gene knocked out, okay? And so this, that's, that's what took so long. So we, we know there's this gene. So what does the data look like? The data was very nice. We got diabetes data. Uh, basically, there's also space, some of you can sit there in the back. I don't know if you can see that. So, so this is the data, and you know, males hardly get type 1 diabetes uh, in diabetes, so, so basically none of the, uh, we see uh, in our colony is fairly similar to, to other colonies that you get. So basically, uh, very few, none of the males with 12 L knockout got type 1 diabetes, and very few of the males anyway in NODs. So the females in our colony about, so this is 0.3 without diabetes, that means essentially 60 to 70% of our NOD colony will get type 1 diabetes by 30 weeks of age. Uh, in our 12 L colony, this is the original 40, uh, we actually had one animal get uh, type 1 diabetes, and subsequently we've never had another. So, so it's been highly protective, and this is, you can know when the paper was published, 2008, so we still keep this colony going. So these animals don't get type 1 diabetes when, and this is a global knockout of 12 LO in the NOD back. Uh, the next step is, and we had some JDR funding, we're now doing PDX and Lysen Cre. We're knocking out 12 LO on the macrophage and the islet in the NOD. You can imagine the first one took seven years. We're getting a little better. It takes on about three years. Right? Have you tried it on there? Um, we didn't do it in the NOD um, to, to eliminate the macro. That's a good thought. You could do that more straightforward. Yeah, we might do that with a paper because we have experience. But we want to have the license free also at the same time. We actually have the license free in uh, Maggie Morris. You can back to that. I just got maybe two years back. We were just using carrying that one. So, so we don't know what the, what the specific ones do yet, but we're trying to characterize this. 
So one of the things you know is very interesting in the uh, even by four weeks in the NOD wild type, you see a lot of macrophages. This is macrophage staining, MAC2 staining, uh, coming around and into the island. Well, so this, you know, type two you see acros too. So and you can see it progressive. These are three separate sections. And the 12 LO knockout, you see almost no macrophages. So it's highly protective of inflammatory cells coming into the island, even very early. So that's one of the things. The other one, this is new work from Raghu. This is, uh, uh, we're submitting this paper uh, hopefully this week. Uh, we're working on it a long time. Uh, basically, it's very interesting. I actually don't have a good explanation for the first finding. I'll talk to Lori and other folks. These are the NOD mice. This is, this is beta cell area in the mice. So you have the wild type NODs, and no surprise, at four weeks, eight weeks, and then our colony starts getting uh, inflammatory and diabetes by between 12 and 16 weeks. The beta cell area starts to really go down at 12 weeks once the diabetes plummets, and that's not surprising. The thing that's very interesting to us, we like, we like this data where we see the 12 LO knockout has maintained beta cell area. The thing that's very interesting is even at four weeks before we expect a lot of inflammation, the 12 LO knockout already has beta cell area that's greater than the NOD. Well, again, it's genetic, everything. The only thing that's changed is 12 LO knockout. That's it. So, uh, and this is global knockout, so it's, it's, it's knocked out during development, so, I, so it could be very interesting about why, what's, what's 12 LO doing uh, in that stage. So it's very interesting. So, uh, and, so it's the idea, if you, Peter Butler's idea is if you're born, lucky enough to be born with more beta cells, uh, he actually showed this with early development, more beta cells, maybe you're more protective when you develop diabetes later on because you have a higher mass. So it turns out that 12 LO uh, may be regulating the beta cell mass even before inflammation. So that's uh, interesting. And then we look at some genes. So this is uh, basically uh, NOD, GCSF, and actually GCSF is interesting because um, GCSF is thought to prevent diabetes to NOD mice, and actually there's some clinical trials going on this, uh, with Mark Atkinson's group. The 12-0 uh, mice uh, diabetic, uh, you see a decline in uh, GCSF with the 12 uh, knockout NODs you maintain have a much higher GCSF level. Maybe that's one mechanism of protection. Uh, the other way is that you look at the inflammatory and protective cytokines. IL-10 is an anti-inflammatory, TH2-related cytokine. Uh, the diabetic NOD has almost no IL-10. IL-10 uh, levels are much higher. Uh, this is in the periphery, uh, as well as in ILEX. This is actually in ILEX uh, and, uh, and NOD mice. And here's uh, IL-6 as well, so we have uh, higher inflammatory levels. So cytokine changes are going in the way that when you eliminate 12-LO, you're having more anti-inflammatory cytokines and uh, more uh, reduction of the uh, uh, other cytokines. So this is the NPOD data. So all that's human. So what is this expressed in humans? Uh, so this is actually an interesting slide. This is immunohistochemistry of Alex-12, the form that's in human islands, in human pancreatic sections from antibody-positive patients. Now, we've done four of them, and it's very consistent. And we have an abstract we just submitted to the NPOD meeting about this. Uh, so here, red is in sun glucagon here, and then the black is uh, Alex-12. And this is autoantibody-positive. If you take a section from a non-diabetic control, we see almost no stage. So in a healthy, non-diabetic island, this enzyme is not expressed. Autoantibody and then type 1 diabetes, and we see it as long as there's islets. When the islets go away, we don't see it anymore. 
And here you can see, maybe it's it's near the beta cells, because there's insulin. It's really near the glucagon cells, but doesn't co-localize with glucagon cells. And it's subtle, and uh, we're working it out. I, I talked to Dr. Sussman about I told him my, but I want to, we're not sure yet where, whether this is co-localized with beta cells or some other cells in the app. We're working that out. Uh, but it's very interesting that the ALEX-12 is expressed in human pancreatic islets, particularly with autoantibody positive. We have not yet gotten a section from a type 2 diabetic to do it, so I can't tell you about that, but I'll show you some functional data as we go, go on and on. That it's uh, actually, I think, 12 heat levels are much higher in type 2 diabetic islets than so we're, we're excited and interested in that. Okay. So now we're going to move on to the functional data. So we were very, uh, it's great to have mice, mouse models, and pretty much that's what gets you NIH funding. Uh, but we all, as a clinician, we're interested in targeted therapy. And we really can't do genetic knockouts. The genetic knockouts are good for proof of principle that our target is not dangerous. And our target could have therapeutic benefits. So far, it suggests that the target could have therapeutic benefits, but until you have a uh, therapy you could use, it's been a limitation. I can tell you that you can go to Biomol, you can go to Sigma, you can go to a company, say 12 LO inhibitor, and you can get some. You can get Biopin, you can get CBC, you can get a few other ones. But I can tell you, I wouldn't use them in animals. I've never used them in animals. Other people do. Uh, in fact, I'm hesitant to even use them in vitro, and I do have some publications there. Because they're not specific, they're endoxins, they have other effects. And these enzymes that I showed you are, are so close together that it's a problem. So we got lucky. Um, and uh, uh, Dr. Kenyon, who's a graduate student, and uh, Ted Holman. Ted Holman is a very bright uh, uh, chemist who's out in uh, UC Santa Cruz, a banana slug country. So he, uh, he doesn't play many sports, but he's a very good chemist. And he, uh, he, he knows about lipoxinases for years. Uh, and he, his focus is developing uh, new inhibitors, and he does very good assays for functional assays of lipoxinases. And that's what he does, and we learn about each other from the web. Starts the collaboration, we got a nice JDRF grant, uh, and we started a collaboration. It's a three-way collaboration. Me, I'm the functional guy that uh, my lab does that. We don't know much about the, uh, the chemistry. He does that. And then NIH. So the NIH actually has a, a genomics branch which is an interesting branch. They're not with the other NIHs. So they actually have a chemical library. It's like a, a mini, mini chemical library factory, uh, not a pharmaceutical company, but they actually have all the fancy screening techniques. They have a library, and it's all academic. And so Ted Holman has collaborated with them. They sent in compounds based on what Ted thinks could be inhib good inhibitors, and they made some new synthesis of the compounds. Ted does his enzymatic assay in isolated uh, cell-free conditions, he sends us the compounds, we can screen them in beta cells. Okay. And we've been doing mouse and human. So this is data that um, I'll be presenting in Seattle uh, in about a week. Uh, it hasn't presented otherwise. This is, this is basically taking human islets. Uh, the first one you can see is a non-diabetic, uh, two non-diabetics and a type 2 diabetic islet. So this is uh, very preliminary, but very interesting. So the publication you can see here is actually he's published not, not all the data I'm going to show you, but basically these, these inhibitors are now published. The first generation is two generations beyond the dominant. But he has first generation inhibitors. And these are the first generation inhibitors, 603 and uh, his 604. But this is 603, which we like. We think we can go into the animal with this one. So here's the data. If you take uh, non-treated human islets and you measure 12 heat with a very specific assay, 
Uh, this is from, from the islets. Here are two non-diabetic and type 2 diabetic. So one thing off the bat is very interesting. The type 2 diabetic seems to have high levels of 12 SE, even in the basic state. When you add ionophore, calcium ionophore plus arachidonic acid, basically to rev up the system, you feed the system with its substrate arachidonic acid, and then ionophore to activate the enzyme, you can see more product going up in each set, so each set goes up higher. And then you have the uh, compound alone, really no much change, but we got a nice inhibition of stimulators. So you're stimulating this bar, that bar, the red to the red, and the type 2 going down. It doesn't shut it off, but you get a significant inhibition of the ability of 12 lipoxygenase to generate uh, product. Okay, so what about function? So here's some functional assay. Here's cytokine treated uh, three, uh, three characters. Here's, and this is an apoptosis uh, immunostain type of assay, uh, uh, fluorescent assay. Here's no cytokines, all three. Here's compound 603 uh, added here at two concentrations, 0.2 and one micromolar. Here's this combination cytokines leading to apoptotic cell death. Here's this uh, cytokine, same cytokines plus the inhibitors giving protection. So we get functional protection of the islets. What we're doing now is glucose stimulated insulin secretion. It looks promising. We have to do more. That we're also uh, reducing uh, the ability of the cytokines to damage the function as well. So it looks promising that we can protect the islets with the inhibitor. And then uh, one step backwards. We were asking the question, how do the LO products really damage the cell? How do they kill the cell? It's ongoing work. We know ER stress is involved. We're doing work on that. But we're very interested in activation of the immune system. We think that's very key. Uh, and so we've been looking at some immune markers. And, and the way the field is going, back from my earlier slides, is it, it suggests that type 2 diabetes is an inflammatory disease. And if you actually go talk to Jerry Palmer, uh, he's at the Seattle uh, Dirt Center, He'll actually say something almost that's uh, heresy. And I, I don't want to steal the thunder, but actually presented at ADA. And, uh, his lab was represented as Oxford meeting. And they said, run of the mill patients with type 2 diabetes in the clinic, 30 to 40% have T cell responses to pancreas energy. And then he followed them progressively, 50% additionally, to develop T cell responses to pancreas So he's not going as far as saying type 2 diabetes is a disease. But it suggests that as the pancreas is damaged into the islets, there is an autoimmune component that's, that's activated. So, it's, so type 1 and type 2, different pathogenesis, but once you get to a final common pathway, there may be some similarities. So, so this is data adding the LO products to normal human islets. And we looked at gene expression. And what you can see here, which is very interesting, this is the 1 nanomole and 100 nanomole or 12 SE. And you can see the time effect. It's not short, but over 24 hours. So in other words, if you had sustained inflammation, enough time to get the 12 LO pathway really revved up, the products increase IL-12P40, which activates, that's a product from macrophages. That activates T cells. It's involved in Th1 disease. It's very key involved in type 1 diabetes and other autoimmune diseases. Interferon gamma, which is a prototype Th1 uh, cytokine, IL-12P35 and MCD1, which will track macrophages. You can almost think of this as atherosclerotically. Uh, we can see some of these same things. So now it's an, it's an inflammatory immune organ. So these are added to quote, normal human islets. 12 LO products are getting these products, these uh, inflammatory pathways going on. So we asked the question, we added our 12 LO inhibitor, what would happen to some of these uh, uh, inflammatory genes? And we're getting some very nice data. So here's a situation where if you look at RNA expression with cytokines, cytokines are even more potent than 12 SE. 
Here's an example of a cocktail of inflammatory cytokines. We get 120-fold upregulation of IL-12 P40 in human islets with the cocktail. Now, that looks very impressive, but I want to clarify things. The reason why it looks like it's huge, it is huge, it's a big increase. The reason is because IL-12 P40 is almost no expression in normal human islets. Uh, but when we add inflammatory cytokines, it goes up. Interferon gamma, same thing. Very little in basal human islands. But in human allergy, the inflammatory cytokines goes up. When we add the 12 L inhibitor, we can shut these off. So it suggests to us that the inflammatory cytokines are working, at least in part, to generate these inflammatory uh, pathways uh, through the 12 LO activation. And then by developing a reduction in 12 LO, maybe we can prevent these, which then we think these pathways are driving the immune system to uh, destroy the beta cells. So to further clarify that a little bit, and this is older data, but now uh, I think mechanistically helps. IL-12 generates, uh, through dimeric cytokines, activates uh, STAT-4, which is a, a, a one of the STATs, a lot of them, obviously. But phosphostat activation in response to IL-12 leads to the generation of a lot of chemokines and inflammatory cytokines. And clearly the field that's involved in T-cell regulation uh, and in fact, there's a staff meeting uh, at NIH, uh, Dr. O'Shea and Dr. Kaplan, happening at the end of the month where they talk about all the different stats and inflammation. Uh, but it's well known, not our work, but Mark Kaplan's work and others, that STAT4 activation is very much involved in TH1 development, TH1 uh, differentiation, NK cell activation. We've been interested, and I talked uh, yesterday a little bit about the role of insulin resistance and atherosclerosis, uh, but what about beta cell damage? Well, that work we already did. It didn't take seven years. It was a little easier. Uh, we actually did a stat four congenic knockout on the NOT. And so we, we developed it plus, plus, and plus, minus, and uh, the hat and the knockout. And that was published uh, a few years ago. The data is very interesting and suggests that uh, uh, if you take this is percent uh, diabetes free, that if you have a complete knockout of the stat four and the NOD, uh, basically we didn't see. Uh, uh, 100% get diabetes, but we got a nice protection here uh, with the STAT4 uh, knockout. So STAT4++. The one thing that's interesting is STAT4++ has a delay, but eventually they became like the wild type. Uh, this is the heterozygote, and this is the complete, uh, uh, the complete knockout uh, here. None of them got diabetes. So basically, it's like a 12LO knockout. You knock out 12LO and NRD, you don't get diabetes. You knock out STAT4, you don't get diabetes. We believe that the 12LO is in part signaling through IL-12, which activates the STAT-4 pathway. And this is what's driving the autoimmune pathway. So if you hit the upstream pathway with 12-15LO, maybe you can be safer and you don't have to just knock out the whole immune system and still have protection of, of the beta cells. And so uh, is the, uh, are the IL-12 components in human islets? They are. This is Zenpod again. This is immunohistochemistry, a beta-2 subunit, which is a signaling subunit of IL-12 receptor. We see it in human pancreatic sections. Uh, in type 1 diabetes, here's a uh, close-up and here's uh, some additional section. Quite significant receptor expression in these pathways. So in this, this is a pathway that's very active in type 1 and RI1. So we think the components are there, and this suggests that it could be a very interesting uh, target. Okay. So the ultimate uh, idea that we think is that inflammation, free fatty acids, and maybe you can put autoimmunity here in some way, activates the 12 by oxygenase pathway. Arachidonic acid can go through other cascades, which we're not talking about, but the arachidonic acid through the 12 by oxygenase generates 12 as 12 heat, and 12 heat induces oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, ER stress, which we're 
uh, working on. We don't have all the pathways yet, but we know P38 map kinase gets activated, and we know that the IL-12, P40, uh, and the P35 pathway, STAT4, gets activated. That further leads to inflammatory mediators, beta cell function, and mass as the idea that we have. We do have this in the PLR review. It's just a hypothesis, but we're trying to plug in data to support each one of these. And until we do, so we have pharmacologic evidence that's suggestive, we have knockout data that's now more suggestive. So the story uh, is, starting, is starting to sound uh, uh, potentially a very reasonable idea that this could be one of the inflammatory pathways involved uh, in areas. So, uh, so basically, uh, conclusion, we think that 12-LO and the downstream pathway by L12 stat 4 may be novel therapeutic targets to preserve uh, beta cells. And I say diabetes because I'm saying type 1, maybe not type 2 as well. You know, it looks like there's some role. And then uh, potentially if you, knock, if you dampen down this pathway and combine it with something else that may lead to beta cell growth, maybe you can get beta cell uh, regeneration or restore lost beta cell function. I hate to say regeneration because it's a hot, uh, hot button topic, right? I won't say it. I say restore beta cell mass in some way, functional mass. Because today people have tried a lot of things to restore functional beta cell mass. But I would take it that unless you hit the first pathway, the inflammatory pathway, I don't think any of those other things are going to work. So I think it's going to take a, a, a double combination. First, figure out why the cells are getting killed, what's the inflammatory damage. You'll probably have to stop that first and then add something that can cause uh, beta cell regen. Maybe some of our current therapies will work then. Maybe we don't need something else. Maybe we have it available once you stop. Can we, that's another area that we'd like to, like to do in the future is uh, do this uh, combination type of therapy and see what we can do. So uh, I'll, I'll comment on a few of the people out David Taylor Fisherwick, who's a junior faculty in the group health. Uh, Swart, who used to be with Raghu's group, he's uh, great with uh, molecular regulation. Uh, Kendall's an eyelid isolation expert. Maggie's doing uh, the immune therapy. Uh, Yumi's doing wonderful therapy. Uh, Maya, a uh, wonderful junior faculty that's going to work on inflammatory cells and, and diabetes. And then most of this work in, uh, in the NOD, more recently, not once we have the mouse, it is a good project for a graduate student. And Shamina <coughs> and Mitchell is a graduate student in the lab right now. It's work, and she's going to hopefully graduate in about a year. So <coughs> Marcy McDuffie at UVA, uh, Raghu and Sarah uh, at Indiana University. Mark Atkinson, mainly for because he gets some good ideas, and I thank him because of the NPOD program is really one of his ideas. Ted Holman's the chemist of uh, at East Santa Cruz, and David Maloney is our contact so that's kind of all I'd say. Thank you. Questions for Jim. Okay, the hands going on. Um, does the presence of diabetes in the mother affect beta cell mass in the offspring? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I might have to punt on that because I don't know. I know that. Because what happens in gestational diabetes is often, often the diabetes uh, uh, goes away, and I, I don't, I don't know because actually there's actually more data that the, the father tracks more than the mother, uh, so I don't know if typically diabetes goes away. So the, the answer is in humans, I'm not sure we know unless you go back to what Peter Butler's done because he's he has these unfortunate situations where there are kids, uh, you know, kids are died for other reasons, and then you want that say. So I actually don't know. I'm not aware that it does uh, at that stage, because uh, you don't, 
allow the glucose toxicity to stay up too long. So basically, we hope the mom gets treated right away if the glucose is in a very aggressive treatment screen. So under those conditions, the mom, even though they have diabetes, uh, you're not going to get glucose toxicity. Type 2 diabetes is a genetic disease. We know that. There's a lot of evidence for that. Type 1 is much less genetic. So it actually tracks more of the group. I'm not sure what that would be. No, I'm not aware that that's a good question. Yeah, just seeing some families anecdotally where I know the, the grandfather, his daughter, and then her daughter, and it seems they're all getting diabetes as you go into generations at an earlier stage. So I just wonder if it just could be they're getting more obese at an earlier yeah, stage. Yeah, I think the obesity driving this on resistance, what I was saying, but there could be something interesting genetically mm -hmm. uh, why why they're more prone, whether it's not the common genetics, which is now well known, a lot of the genes that are developed, being studied for type 2 diabetes are basically uh, uh, beta cell genes. So I think there's some uh, family like that might be uh, interesting to look for the Simpson. Dr. Weibo, you, you mentioned early on the stereoisomerism of the uh, 12P. 12P, 12S versus 12R. L, the L isomer is active, the R is not active. Will the R block the Ah, that's a good question, yeah. It's very possible that that could do it because actually uh, uh, Richard Roman, who's, who's a renal aficionado that works on inflammation in the kidney, he works on these pathways. He found, in fact, that the 12R or the 15 can actually entitle <coughs> So it's a good question. It's possible. Uh, the problem is you can do that in vitro. It's hard to get these uh, given vivo, so, but it basically... Uh, it's a good tool. Yeah, it could have worked. We never did it. Uh, is the serum uh, 12 level additive in a diabetic patient? Good question, but very tough. The other place where this 12 heat is generated is in platelets. So platelets have a lot of it. It's called the platelet 12 level. So if you put, do a blood test, Artifactually, very easy to see high 12 heat, much more than pilot makes. So it probably can't be measured. We've done this before in back. We have some ongoing studies because um, the kidney had the. We, we measured urinary 12 heat. We've done that for years. We have some old papers uh, showing that in hypertension and uh, even diabetes, that uh, 12 s heat in the urine was a way to do it. So that's a non-invasive way to do it. I think it'd be tough though. Just having an increasing in the islet that reflect perfectly. That's, but IL-12, there is data that just came out, not all of it, that IL-12 in the peripheral circulation is higher. That, that, that could be a that that could, That's a react. That may be a bottom line. Yes. Do you know what happens to drug people who are big No, I actually don't know what happens when you take statins or any of the uh, therapies. The, uh, yeah, that's not been done. As I said, it's been under the radar screen, but now it's getting well above the radar screen. So a lot of people can podcast us doing a uh, bigger labs. But basically, it's a big question. I think it's open to the idea of what uh, current therapies are, are doing. We're doing work on exercise with the collaboration with the other people, taking people who care for those columns, doing exercise with those exercise. I don't know that. Sorry. So, sort of a related question: Does the level of activity of this system in islands correlate with either muscle biopsy specimens or adipose tissue? Is it something that could be studied in other tissues, if not necessarily yes. blood, that would reflect? Yeah, so uh, I don't have, I can put up my slides from yesterday. So we are doing that, uh, in fact. 
So in the story in fat, is these enzymes are highly expressed in visceral fat, uh, much higher than in subcutaneous fat. And we now have an ongoing study with one publication after bariatric surgery. So we, have, we do see them. And in fact, uh, we believe that that's part of the story. We see it in animals. Obviously, you can get a lot more tissue in animals. So in animals, it does. As you develop uh, obesity, uh, the enzyme expression and activity goes up. And we believe when you uh, eliminate it, you can prevent things from existing. Muscle, we haven't done a lot of tissues. We know liver is expressed. Muscle, we did some old studies. It's part. It's not very high in muscle, but the fat tissue, it's very high, mostly in the stromovascular tissue. And does it predict what's going on in the pancreas, or is it just separately? I'm wondering if it, I know it relates to the insulin resistance, but does it relate to the beta cell? Yeah, that's a good question. All I can tell you is that from our studies, we haven't done the same, it's, it's a lot of work. I guess we need all these tissues in the same animal. Highlights the fat, but we do, don't always do it. I can tell you the expression level and the levels change early, I think, earlier in the fat. We haven't done liver time, but in the fat before that. So I think that uh, in obesity, probably the uh, uh, peripheral tissues might be starting first, but I don't, we haven't done the extensive study. I know that's a debate what's, what's happening to different tissues, but, but we think that it goes up pretty high early on after a few weeks in the, in the fat, and that's well before any beta cell dysfunction. So. Uh, we know that vitamin D is uh, in fact important in macrophage function, tuberculosis, et cetera, um, and this question of vitamin D preventing pelvic diabetes. Do we know anything about vitamin D in these inflammatory processes that you're talking about? No, it's a good question about vitamin D. Uh, there's some studies going on with vitamin D and autoimmunity and type 1 diabetes, uh, but we haven't looked at, uh, looked at that uh, here. We haven't. The human is even trickier, but in the mouse, we, we basically sh I showed you what we're doing. But it's a very good thought. If you can do nutritional uh, way of uh, modulating it, it makes sense. I know some people are also looking at uh, fish oil, some of the altered fatty acids. That's the other way you can do it. This enzyme, maybe by changing the substrate, maybe uh, you have less damages products being generated. So that may be an interesting thing that you can do nutritionally. So there's open ideas that people look at. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just wondering in your human island, the upregulation of troponin and the staining um, um, of the macrophages, is it only in the obese diabetes or in diabetic eating? Like, is, the, you know, is this pathway is insulin resistant or is this strictly uh, obesity uh, related information? Are you talking about an island or yeah, an island? Meaning, if you have this. Yes. So it's a good question. We haven't done a time. So the, what I showed you, the staining, is actually from human samples that we just get. So we get non-diabetic, and we presume they're clean, but we don't know. And we get on the way to type 1 diabetes. We haven't really gotten a section from obese from humans. Obese humans with the pancreas or type 2. Uh, to know in mice, in mice, when we uh, we don't see a lot of um, uh, in the just the obese black six mice, uh, just by staining, we don't see a lot of inflammatory cells off the back. By the way, um, but the staining is tricky because when you do flow cytometry, that's what we see. Around. So that's what we're going to start doing. More. So it's a hand, kind of a rounded question. We don't we don't know. But this enzyme, the short answer is the enzyme is involved in insulin resistance. It's involved in beta cell dysfunction. How they talk to each other. So, uh, 